Uh, this morning, if you want to uh, get to where we're going to be in our Bibles, uh, turn to John chapter 1. And I would kind of say just keep that marked because we're going to read our uh, focus verses, our um, listed verses, but we're going to also turn to some, some further verses there and a little bit later in, in John chapter 1. One joy I didn't share during prayer time and uh, kind of a, a prayer request as well um, is that right now we should have about, well, not about, there should be 11 of our young adults and uh, three of our uh, counselors, Joe, Julie, and Danielle Jackson, uh, should be on the road back to the church after being in Leesburg this weekend for our confirmation retreat. Uh, I had the joy of going up with them. I drove up to Leesburg with four um, middle school, early high school students in the car with me and drove back by myself. I will let you guess which one of those journeys was more peaceful. Um, but went up with them um, for their confirmation retreat at Leesburg, where they've been since Friday evening. I came back last night. Joe tagged in for me. And um, they spent this morning there at the camp. They're with other young adults from around the state at a number of churches that are participating in a confirmation weekend. And they worshiped together this morning. They're on their way back. It, for us, is going to kick off our confirmation time. As I said, 11 young adults that will have the joy of receiving into um, full membership of the church in just a few weeks as they have finished. Now, let me say this to you because I see some of the parents out here, grandparents, parents of, of some of these young adults. Hear me say this sincerely. Parents, well done. They are a fantastic group of kids. They are absolutely a great group of kids. And I had, um, I went a little tired, I will confess. I was like, oh gosh, i got to drive to Leesburg. They were, they were so much fun, and they did such a wonderful job. And uh, I just enjoyed, enjoyed the time with them and, and getting to know them. So, so they will be bouncing on. They were wanting to make it back before the end of the sermon. They wanted to make a grand entrance during the sermon. I don't think they're going to make it. But if they do, they'll probably be wearing shirts that look like this. So if they happen to see, you happen to see them, um, that's, that's what they'll be wearing, these kind of Florida uh, key lime pie kind of looking shirts. So um, anyway... So we pray for, for a safe journey back, and they've got a few more weeks. I'm looking forward to more time with them before, before confirmation. Now, let's, let's talk about this morning. Let's talk about this one. We're starting a new series here uh, for the next few weeks during this time of Lent, and it's called You're Invited. And what we're going to look at each week is we're going to look at a different invitation of Jesus. Today, come and see. Uh, we're going to talk about the invitation in the weeks to come to follow me, um, to become fishermen. Uh, to, to receive the Spirit. These are the things that, that Jesus, in our journey of discipleship, and we're all going to find ourselves in different places there, but these are some of the unique things that Jesus invites us to as part of um, faith, as part of becoming um, His disciples. So we're going to start with the very first invitation. And to do that, we turn to John chapter 1. And we're going to pick it up at verse 29 with John the Baptist. And we're going to use this to kind of speak into some of the, the, the wonderful truth about the kind of invitation that Jesus gives. So, again, beginning John chapter 1, verse 29. This is what we read. It says, The next day John, again John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Friends and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. God, speak to us through your word, through the presence of your Holy Spirit. Invite us in our journey of faith, in our experience of you. Help us to hear, to be shaped, to be obedient to your word, and do with us as you will. We pray in Christ our Lord. Amen. So I have referenced before the fact that the great lessons of life, the most important lessons that we learn in life, we learn by the time we're usually about eight years old. The, the adage, everything I need to know in life, I learned in kindergarten kind of thing. So many of our great lessons of life we learn and are shaped and, and imprinted upon us at a young age. Not all our lessons, of course, but, but some of the pivotal ones. And sometimes they make great sense, and sometimes they don't. For instance, one of the things that we learn at a young age, many of us learn, is this. It is impolite to point. It is impolite to point. I know I do this sometimes when I'm preaching, so I know I break this one. But it's impolite to point. Do you know why it's considered impolite to point? Has anybody ever questioned that rule? I never had, but I did for this. And maybe you've heard this before, but I sort of read, why? why? Why do we do that? Why is it impolite to point? Well, one of the things is because pointing is an accusatory gesture. If you were on the stand as a witness and you were asked to testify against somebody who may have committed a crime or done something to you, you point them out. And so it's an aggressive gesture. It's considered an aggressive and an impolite and an accusatory thing. So we're told not to do it. We're told that we're allowed, and, and the rule is we're allowed to point out places. For instance, if you say to me, where can I get a cup of coffee on Sunday morning? I can say, coffee's in there. That's okay. Or, or if, you know, your parent, you're like, well, where's the nursery? And I can say the nursery's down there. But what I'm not supposed to do is go, there's Ron Hubble right there. Or not Ron Hubble, sorry. There's Ron right there. Um, I can't see. I can't even remember who he is. Um, right there. Phew, just ruined that one. But I'm not supposed to point. I'm not supposed to point at people. You're not supposed to point at people. The Gospel of John 
begins with pointing. The Gospel of John begins with pointing. Not necessarily literal pointing, but, but John the Baptist is introduced to us as the one who points to Jesus. And I imagine, for some reason, in, as I conjure things up in my head and I picture things, John the Baptist seems like he'd be the kind of guy, because he didn't really pay much attention to social norms anyway, I imagine John the Baptist pointing out Jesus. Every time the scriptures mention him in these verses, he's, every time Jesus is coming, he says, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God. He says it when Jesus is baptized. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I can imagine John pointing at him. There he is. And, and in John, there's Jesus, there's the Lamb of God. I, I just imagine Jesus got to the point where he'd see John and just roll his eyes back. Yeah, yeah, here it comes. There's the Lamb. Yeah, that's me. Um, but that's what John does. That's his ministry. His call is to point out Jesus so that others would see him. And so we get this wonderful story from the, from the Gospel of John, of John the Baptist that is pointing Jesus out and the first disciples being attracted to that, coming to Jesus. And this is what is so wonderful. This all takes place about 40 days after the baptism. If you remember, Jesus is baptized, and he goes into the wilderness, and he faces his temptation. And this is the beginning of his ministry. And what is so wonderfully rich about the Gospels is they present the truth of Jesus and the experience of Jesus from different angles, from different perspectives. And John presents for us a very different perspective in the calling of those first disciples than we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those Gospels are, are what we call the synoptic Gospels. And they, they have very unique aspects to those. A Mark is a very short Gospel. It gives us, gives us just the highlights. Matthew and Luke expand upon that. But they tell similar stories from similar perspectives. John is very, very different. He tells it from a very unique thing. Let me say very clearly, not contradictory, complementary. He tells the story. And, and John is, is spiritual in his, in his gospel, as we know from the beginning, the way he starts his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, John wants, to, wants us to understand a fullness of Jesus in a different way, right from the beginning. And John focuses on encounters, the people who encounter Jesus, Nicodemus as he encounters Jesus, the woman on the well who encounters Jesus, Peter as he encounters Jesus, Pilate, uh, these, these men and women who have very powerful encounters. And again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do that too. But it's a very, very much a focal point for John. And so we have this wonderful initial encounter between Jesus and these two disciples, Andrew and Philip. Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke... Jesus kind of shows up, shore of Galilee, he sees Peter, he sees Andrew, he sees James, he sees John, he says, hey, follow me. And the scriptures say they drop their nets and they follow him. What we see in those gospels is we see the searcher, the seeker in Jesus that, that looks and goes and, and calls. And that's absolutely, John talks about that too. But John also lets us have a kind of another glimpse, especially of Andrew and Philip. And that is that Andrew and Philip themselves are seekers. They're looking for truth. They're in a spiritual journey before they encounter Jesus. And you say, well, how do I know that? Well, because it says they were disciples of John the Baptist. They were students. They had spent their time with John, learning and hearing and, and absorbing his teaching. 
And so as they're with John, and the, and the, the day as we begin in verse 35, uh, John, who has testified to who Jesus is, John again points him out. Jesus comes by. Andrew and Philip are with him. And John says, this is the Lamb of God. He points him out. He says, this is the one about I have spoken. This is the chosen one. And the Scriptures tell us that Andrew and Philip then began to follow around Jesus. They began to investigate what John had told them. You see, they trusted John. They believed John and his word. But they do what we all do when somebody tells us something. We've got to check it out for ourselves. We all, this is the truth of life. If I, if I came to you and I said, hey, I've got to tell you, I just, there, there's a new restaurant in Bradenton, and it is the best restaurant you'll ever eat at. I went there. It's the best food ever. And they had the best service and the best ambiance. And I just tell you that there's no place in the world you're ever going to go that's better than this new restaurant. Now, you may give me some credibility. You may think, well, we can trust Chris. He has a pretty good sense of taste. But here's what I am sure of. You're not going to proclaim this place the best restaurant you've ever eaten at. You're not going to go tell everybody it's the best place that you've ever been to until you've checked it out for yourself. You may think, well, yeah, Chris is pretty reliable, but you're going to go check it out and see for yourself. You're going to experience it for yourself. Now, Andrew and Philip have been following John, and they trust him enough to take a step, but they need to go check this out for themselves. They need to go investigate themselves. So the Scripture says that they begin following. And see, I ascribe this to following him around. It says, when the two disciples, verse 37, heard Jesus say this, or heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Now, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't know that they're following Jesus. He hadn't called. They just start, it just says they start following him. Now, why do I know that? Because when Jesus turns around and sees him, he kind of says, What do you want? It's kind of like, Why are you here? And you know what that is? That means Andrew and Philip, in the beginning of their journey, were stalkers. <laughs> they were stalkers. Seriously, they're just following Jesus around. They want to see. And, and how do I know that? Because Jesus says to him, what do you want? What do you seek? And what's their next question? Rabbi, what's your home address? And that's, that's as stalkerish as you get. I want to come to your house and check you out. That's what they're doing. They're stalking. And I, and I say that jokingly, but I also say it sincerely. They want to observe. They want to see what they can begin to learn about this Jesus who John has said these remarkable things. Here's what's fascinating. When Jesus asks them that question, what do you want? And they say to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Where can we come and spend more time with you? Jesus' invitation is as simple as it is profound. Come and see. Come and see. In other words, it's, it's a unique invitation. See, not in a just a visual sense. But the Greek word there communicates that Jesus is giving them an invitation to come and spend time with him. Come and hear what he says. Come and watch what he does. Come and share a meal. Come and be in a relationship and begin to observe and to experience the uniqueness of who he is. Now here's, I'm always fascinated in the scriptures, not just by what happens and what is said, 
but sometimes by what's not said. And what I find so profound here is that Jesus doesn't try to convince them of anything. He doesn't say to them, well, here, come and follow me because this is who I am and this is what the scriptures have said about me and this is why the reasons you need to believe in me. He just invites them into a a relationship, into a connection. He says, come and see. Come and check it out because what Jesus knows is what we learn is that there is no teacher in life like experience. There There is nothing that compares with with the actual encounters and, and um, memories and experiences that we have. This week, we've joked around a lot around here. Some of you have been all over social media having fun with your neighbors up in the north because we have endured a Florida winter. We, we, we survived our two days of cold. And, and we've had a lot of fun, and there are shirts going around now that say, I survived the Florida winter, and it has 219 through 220 on it, um, and that kind of a thing. And we've, we've had a lot of fun with that, and, and some of you are, are just rotten to your friends in Ohio and Canada and Michigan. But, but as we joke about it and we laugh, and, and we were having a good time when we were in Leesburg Thursday, Friday night, and it was like 30-some degrees. I, what I learned, because Julie and I and Danielle were there the first night, Julie McNaughton is just like my wife, Tony. If it's, she's always cold. She, I mean, she was bundled up like it was a blizzard. And, um, and we were laughing about that. But, but what happens is all of you that are from parts up north, all of you Canadians and, and Michigan people and Ohio people and New York people and Wisconsin people, you all laugh at us is what you do. You do. You make fun of us. And you laugh, aha, it's not cold, and oh, we, we endured so much worse up in Canada or up in Michigan, in which I look at you and go, yeah, well, you're here now, so I don't want to hear about it. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing is, people love to tell the stories of what it's really like to experience cold. And that's interesting. People will tell me what it's like to have four feet of snow and what it feels like to breathe in neg- negative degree temperatures and all of that. And I'm sure that's really, really unpleasant. The reality is I can look at the pictures and you can tell me all the stories and, and they're interesting. But there's only one way I would ever really know what that's like. I'd have to go. And I'm not gonna. So, because there's a reason I live in Florida. Tony and I ventured up north once. We lived for three years in North Carolina. That was good. Um, I, I, I don't want to. But that's the only way I could know what that's like. You can ex- describe it to me powerfully, but I'd have to experience it. Well, Jesus understands that truth in more, more profound ways. And what he's expi- inviting Andrew and Philip into is what he invites us into. Our journey of faith begins with a simple invitation to come and see. All of us. Now, you may be like me. Maybe you grew up in the church and you had parents that were followers of Jesus and grandparents who were followers of Jesus and you've always believed in Jesus. But what I know is even in those stories, at some point, you had to begin to explore it for yourself. You had to begin to own your faith. You had a come-and-see moment. And if you came to faith later in life, you've had a come-and-see moment. And some of you here today are in your come-and-see moments. You're not sure you believe this. And you're in your come-and-see. You're investigating. That's where the invitation of faith begins. Andrew and Philip were seeking. They were searching. And they have an encounter with Jesus that prompts them to want to go deeper, to want to learn more, to become immersed in the experience. 
Life has a way of doing that to us, sometimes in profound ways, sometimes in, in less significant ways, but nonetheless instrumental. Uh, about a decade, well, 2001, I remember when Tony and I first went to see uh, Lord of the Rings, the first movie. I don't know if you remember those, the, the trilogy that they did based on J.R. Tolkien's works. And it was the first time I remember movies coming out that you knew that there was part one, part two, and part three. They were filming them all. And so you knew when you went to see that movie, it was not going to have a satisfying ending. You just were going to get the part one, and you're going to have to wait till next year for part two, and then part three is going to come out. I know that there were trilogies before, Star Wars being the, the trilogy of my generation, but I don't remember when I saw Star Wars as a kid knowing that another one was coming. And, and there have been those kind of movies. Now it's pretty common. They're, Hollywood does it all the time to stretch us out and make us pay for more movies. But, but I remember knowing that it wasn't going to resolve. And I was still mad when the movie was over because it didn't resolve. And I'm like, I don't want to wait two more years to know how this thing ends. So here was a novel idea, no pun intended. I went and read the books. I thought, well, these have been around for a while. Maybe I just won't wait for the movies. And that's what I did. And I went and got the, the three volumes. You know he wrote those as one volume? He meant it to be one book, and we just split it up because we don't have the attention span to read a book that long. Um, but we'll do three of them that are that long. Um, but, I, but I went and read. And, and my point is just that the experience of going to the movie kind of prompted me to want to go deeper, to want to learn more, to want to read and, and be immersed in, in the world that he created. And it was wonderful, and I, I'm thankful that I went and read those books. Well, in far more profound ways, what, what Jesus knows is that, that there's something that happens in our lives at some point that prompts us to want to lo- learn a little bit more. But before we get to doctrine, before we get to teaching, before we get to right theology and believing the right things and saying the right things and doing the right things, it starts with this. Come and see. Come and experience who I am. And we're here, most likely, because we've had that kind of a moment. Some of us are maybe in those moments. So Jesus gives us the invitation. But here's what I love. is the full circle of how these stories go. Because I didn't finish reading John chapter 1, but if, if we were to go deeper into it and continue to read, you'd find that after this, the Scriptures tell us that Andrew, after meeting Jesus, went and found his brother. Do you remember who his brother was? Peter. He went and found Peter, and he brought Peter to Jesus. That's what Andrew does. We've talked about that. Peter's the bringer. He brings people to Jesus all the time. But then in verse 43, we read this. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, there's the second invitation. We'll get to that next week. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, hear what Philip says. We have found the one. The one that we have searched for. The one that we have waited for. The one that we have hungered for. We found him. Now, let's be clear. Philip has no idea what that means. He has no clue what it means, Messiah means. The disciples would spend three years trying to figure that out and the rest of their lives trying to understand it, just like we do. Okay? But he knows there's something special about Jesus. And so here's the truth found people find people. You hear that? Found people 
find people. Jesus has found Philip. He has imprinted on Philip. Something significant has happened in a 24-hour period. And Philip is such a wonderful model because he immediately goes, he's like, I've got to find somebody else. I've got to find my brother. I've got to find people. And he invites them to this same experience. And notice how Nathaniel responds. Verse 46. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? <laughs> Nazareth. Backwoods. Hicktown. No place. Certainly not the place the Messiah is going to come. Certainly, certainly, Philip, you've got this wrong. Certainly you misunderstood. There's no way this could be the one. And in that moment, Philip has a decision to make. He can try to convince Nathaniel. He can try to go to whatever maybe Jesus has said. Maybe he knows him. Maybe he can make a good argument. No, this is why. Because the Scripture said this, and God has told us this. And he can go to the head knowledge. And he can try to convince, because that's where a lot of us instinctively go. He can try to do a, a doctrine lesson on Nathaniel. But that's not what he does. The next verse, in the face of Nathaniel's resistance, Philip offers this invitation Come and see. Come and see. wonder where he heard that before. Just come and see. Come and experience Jesus. Come see for yourself. Investigate. Be with. And that's exactly what Nathaniel will do. And he will be convinced of who Jesus is. But it began with just a simple yet profound invitation. Come and see. He doesn't try to change his mind. doesn't try to convince him. doesn't try to argue him into it. Just come and see. Now here's what this means for us. We know that our journey begins with come and see moments. But here's one of our challenges as the church. We need to create a safe place for others to come and see. Too often we get it backwards. We want to go with see and come. Experience, know, believe, and then come. We don't say it that way. But inadvertently we communicate it that way. What's it look like when we create a place when people can come in with their questions, with their uncertainty, with their beliefs that are very different than ours, with their ideas that come from left field, and it can be a safe place for them to come and see? Now, I'm not saying that doctrine and teaching and our theology doesn't matter. It absolutely does. But how about the first place being come and experience Jesus? And that's a great challenge for us because you know what? We're called to be Jesus. That means we've got to take that pretty seriously. I said this one in our communion ritual, our prayer over the elements of communion that, we, that I use very, very often. Uh, you've heard these words. It says that, and I'm pointing to it like they're here because they're here in the middle service, if they were here. Over the bread and juice, we, we pray this prayer. Lord, be for us the body and blood of Christ. May these, this bread and juice be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. That means we have a challenge to be Jesus. And we're not going to be perfect. But to be intentional about creating a place where people can come and see in our worship, in our fellowship, in our love, in our genuineness for each other and for them. In the way that you behave the moment you drive onto the parking lot. You know, you're getting out of your car and you bump into somebody you don't know. You don't know that they're not in their come and see moment. And how do you greet and welcome and encourage and bless others? And I don't mean to say that just happens on church property, but the uniqueness of what happens here. Come and see. A lot of us, me, 
need to get out of the feeling that my biggest and most important job is to teach the right things. Sometimes my greatest call is to create the right place or to be instrumental in creating that. This weekend at the retreat with these young people, these 11 young adults that were there, we had small group session. There was worship time during the day, and we, Julie and, and Danielle and I would meet with them um, during the day. And, and, and part of what we do is we, we work through the confirmation materials. And we went to each session with an idea of what we were going to talk about, uh, the, the person of who Jesus is, God's gift of salvation, the reality of sin. We had these, these doctrinal points to talk about that are foundational in our faith. And I'm going to tell you, not one discussion went the direction we thought it was going to go. Not one discussion ran the gamut where we thought, from where we started to where we ended, we finished up and go, how did we get here? And that was okay. In fact, that was awesome. Because what we did is we created a safe place for these young people to come and see and ask their questions. And wrestle with the things they don't understand. We ended up talking about science in one of our, and the vastness of the universe and the way that light travels through space from a star to us. So if you are a teacher, you may have some work to do with your kids because I had no business leading a science discussion. <laughs> but I did anyway. So, but that's because that's where their questions went. And, and there was this moment where we were talking about the, the, the people that were attracted to Jesus, the kind of people that Jesus hung around with. And we were listing them. And I said, well, what about the prostitute? And some of the kids looked at me like, oh, dear Lord, you can't say that word. You can't talk about that. Yeah, we can. This is a safe place. Come and see. Let's talk about it. That's what we seek to do. And I have to let go of worrying about We cover all the doctrine. Ah, let's just come and see. That's what we do. We're invited to that, but we're called to create that to experience that presence and the power of Jesus Christ and to be the vessels that, that give people freedom to come as they are, where they are, who they are, what they are, and allow Jesus to work through us, to, to be present and to be real and to be invited. The other stuff will come, but it starts with come and see. Some of you are in your come and see moments right now. And I'm glad you're here. Others of us, we need to be reminded of that and we need to be intentional about creating space for others. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't begin to teach him. He invites him into presence. He does that for us. Friends, this is my prayer is that we'll intentionally do that for others. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for your patience with us and your invitation to us and that we can come where we are to experience you. May we start there. May be intentional about trying to be that for others, to be the instruments that you'll use to communicate your love and grace so that others will feel safe to come and see who you are and know the power of your love. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen.